He's a bit of a troublemaker. So here we go. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new, from, what do we talk about? I don't know, from cool, from, <laughs> we, we, we talk about something. I, I'm How many sure. social drinks have you had so far? <laughs> I've only filled it up once. Now it's in a tall glass. Yeah, those gallon glasses are something else. Yeah. <laughs> Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 428, recorded live November 28, 2019. Back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. And joining us this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well as long as I don't have to get up and do any marathon running. Yeah, so uh, you, 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 you filled up plenty for the uh, Thanksgiving holiday? I did, and I actually, the reason I'm a little late coming in, I got home, got settled, and I did one, my, my night walk. I did a one mile night walk trying to do that every night now oh excellent i need to do that that would help me out a lot um, and then also joining us tonight we have dave Toneman. how you doing today dave doing great go bucks oh wait <laughs> <laughs> well, you, wrong podcast yeah you, you certainly wouldn't be saying go lions well or that other college that's you know in your state a bit further football, east. Football game going on? Something? Yeah, I heard something about that. I don't I don't watch them. I try not to follow sports that only require one ball. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's so many places we could go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not talking girl sports anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We have... Uh, Eric shown up uh, in the U.S. on the day of recording. This is Thanksgiving holiday, where uh, we tend to overindulge, as becomes the I don't know what you call it, a rite of passage, but uh, just a tradition, more or less. What is this, Darren? Eighth year, ninth year? Uh, we this is the we are approaching the end of the ninth year, starting the tenth season. I think. Am, are we? I don't know. No, I thought we're past 10 years already. Are we past 10 years? I thought we are coming up on 11. Yeah, let me hear. I, I, I've i got the authoritative source, which is where, I, where we publish the uh, the podcast. I'll, I'll drop into there for just a moment. Uh, yeah, we've been doing this so long. It's kind of like birthdays. You ask me how old I am. I'm, I'm older than I was last year, but I, I can't tell you exactly what, a, what the year it is. I can get close, but not always right on it. I just I'm always say, on being older. I would just say close to 50, but I never feel a day older than 70. Yeah, see, close to 50 works both ways. So, yeah, I could say close to 50. I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. 50. Damn, that's young. 
Okay. It's the scary now. part that is young. Oh, stuff I thought was ancient, I passed a long time ago. I, I yes. know what I, I just wished I had some of this knowledge when I was 25. Yeah. I would have, I really would have treated my parents a lot nicer. <laughs> and my grandparents, if I had ever known them, a lot nicer too. Well, here we are. I, you're, I was saying we're coming up on the tenth. We're coming up on the eleventh season. We're finishing the tenth season. Yeah. So ten uh, Thanksgiving, Scuba obsessed. I don't know if we we probably didn't hit every Thanksgiving of doing Scuba obsessed, but we we passed the date even if we didn't record. But yeah, I think we've we've hit probably a majority of them. I I never really know for sure. Because you've got a lot of elements in there, including family, that are just can be too unpredictable. But I'm usually able to talk my way out of there enough to go and get some discussions on scuba diving. Well, it's a great excuse to get you away from them. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to work. It's a tough job. This is a, a high-paying job. I can't miss yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, I can pay for a coffee every other month. What are you talking about? It's all the freebies we get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into uh, Scuba the News. We have an article up, which uh, Adorama, is that Ador- Adorama? Adorama. Adorama. The parent company of Leisure Pro has acquired scuba.com. So, and I'm trying to edit as I read this because this is a press release, which is full of all sorts of marketing wank. Uh, But uh, basically two of the larger online retailers for scuba gear have merged. So, uh, so it looks like scuba.com started in 1996 when everybody thought you had to own the domain of whatever business you're in, and that would be success. Uh, so this does, it just gives, uh, it's probably a consolidation of customers where you can create the illusion of competition, but you own both companies. It's probably also giving them access to more brands. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so... Adorama is the parent company of three other highly successful online retailers. Sunny Sports, which is for backpacking, camping, hiking. Adorama. Oh, okay. Now I see. That's a leader in photo, uh, photo video, and audio equipment. Because they, they've been showing at the uh, Our World Underwater. I think they were there. Uh-huh. I think they were one of the booths there. Okay. So that doesn't seem quite as crazy as I thought. Uh, and then Pratik, which I'm familiar with that company, they're high quality uh, professional printing and photo gifts. The acquisition of scuba.com finished on October 25th, 2019. So eh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd guess I, that the customer base is probably common between the two of them. I don't know that too many people have loyalties with online retailers, but. You know, a little known fact, Leisure Pro is actually a true brick-and-mortar store in New York, right down the road from the Adorama store. Oh, I didn't realize that. I did not know that. Ah. They just they just jumped on the bandwagon on the internet sales early and became big. And I think that's they, smart. 
Uh, because you really, especially in an industry like scuba diving, you have to have some sort of practical knowledge. You just can't buy Asian stuff and then turn around and sell it and be able to offer any sort of service or support. And Leisure Pro used to do a lot of uh, gray market stuff where they were acquiring goods not as a distributor. But in recent years, they've uh, actually become distributors for most of the big lines. Yeah. And they actually, they've always had a great warranty program. If it was something that they weren't truly a distributor for, they just ate it. Ah, I see. Yeah, because you, you can bring it back. Uh, if you, as long as you've got a good service department, you can, you know, validate that it's good and then sell it through other channels. Sell it on your uh, discount page. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing by the other brands out with them that they'll they'll do fine. That they didn't just do this on a whim. I'd like to know how much they paid. Yeah. Well, it depends. Are they in the stock market? No, I don't. I think they're privately held. It's interesting. Then, Then the next article we have is the Coast Guard carries. Michigan Christmas trees of Chicago and honor the 1912 shipwreck. The U.S. Coast Guard cutter Mackinac delivers Christmas trees from northern Michigan to Chicago every year as part of a Christmas uh, ship program. The one-of-a-kind icebreaker and its predecessor, the U.S. CGC Mackinac, have delivered more than 25,000 Christmas trees to Chicago families in the past 20 years. And they've got a nice photo in the article of them all stacked up there. Uh, Families, uh, they said, family Chicago families in need of a big, beautiful spruce will receive their trees next week. And let's see when this is. This article may be a while because we did not record last week due to power being out for no apparent reason other than power was out. So this was actually today, this morning. So that must be uh, this weekend, though, in Chicago, which will be. Uh, the Thanksgiving weekend. And, the and interestingly enough, I believe that uh, today is actually the anniversary of the sinking of the Rouse Simmons. I think you're right. I did see, I think I did see some articles on that. Yep. 107 years ago today. Seems like just yesterday. The interesting part is every time we go up to Sheboygan, we go by that tree farm, the Dutchman tree farm. Oh, okay. That's the one where they, the trees came from? Yep. Ah. And it is a wreck that you can dive out of Chicago. The numbers are known to a few people who might happen to run charter services in that area. And, and that wreck's a little on the deep side, isn't it? Or am I, I believe it is. It, it's, I'm trying to remember. I don't think it's super deep. Uh, it, 172 feet. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. It was approaching, uh, you know, and it's in the technic, the beginning of the technical ranges. So I'm sure some people had probably bounced it a couple times. Uh, well, tech range is anything past 130, correct? Yes. Yeah, I think I think mm-hmm. now. Typically. And then this next one out of Australia, an underwater quest to restore endangered seagrass. Uh, oh, goodness. Technical names. 
was it Posadia, Posidina, Australis, a slow-growing seagrass that likes to live in the same beautiful sheltered bay where humans like to live, build their houses and moor boats. So the building marinas, coastal development, pollution, and dredging has caused its decline. UNSW Marine Ecologist Andrea Vergas says, uh, it is the foundation species which produces habitat and food for a lot of different animals. It is also known by its nursery habitat, which supports many juvenile species essential for fisheries to, th- to thrive. Without seagrass, a lot of emblematic species like seahorses, as well as many species we like to eat, such as blue swimmer crabs, cuttlefish, snapper, would decline from our estuary. Some people mistake seagrass as seaweed, but just a plant like those on land with seas, flowers, and roots. Uh, it's important to carbon capture and storage. The seagrass, when heavily, when healthy, can store more than 30 times more carbon than rainforests. Unfortunately, it is an endangered, it is officially endangered, and its disappearance from six estuaries in North South Wales. And uh, unless we do something about it, it'll be just extinct from places like Sydney Harbour in the next 15 years. Uh, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to do some underwater uh, restoration. Uh, she is leading a team of scientists who are passionate about taking action against a problem. Operation Poseidon. Is that Pos- it looks like Poseidon IA aims to restore sea grasses where it is endangered in conjunction with replacing traditional swing moorings with environmentally friendly ones known as EFMs. So we don't have to worry about that around here because we in uh, Lake Michigan, you typically don't have any sort of natural plants anywhere near where we'd moor. Did they say why this plant was uh, becoming more rare? Well, they're, they're saying because of the uh, just uh, silting up and, you know, pollution, coastal development, marinas, dredging. Uh, okay, so when it's in an uh, estuary... It's a close area, basically. Yeah, it's just people interacting with it, disturbing it, has uh, caused it to uh, not be present in some of these spots. They said having uh, estuary is going to be a bit different. For example, Sydney Harbor is going to be a tough to restore because it's very, very little of the plants left. There are multiple stressors like boats and ferries, so it's likely to be more successful in some estuaries and less successful in others. But where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, they pioneered methods of replanting storm-detached seagrass fragments in Australia, inspired by a technique used in the Mediterranean to restore uh, the plants. Uh, this week from Wednesday, the 20th of November to Friday, the 22nd of November, Operation scientists will don their scuba gear and replant the first shoots around the new moorings at Port Stevens, recently installed into the SCARS left by traditional block and chain moorings. Next stage is to roll out the project in an endangered estuary. Uh, uh, Vergus is drafting grant applications to raise funding to the project to Lake, was that McIntyre, McIntyre? But she says she's scaling up the project to restore seagrass in all six endangered estuaries, as well as at least a decade away. And they go and they talk about how you can help uh, which they're looking for money, um, and they want to. They said that traditional swing moorings. Do you think they, when they mean by swing moorings, is that that's just like a block in the bottom with chain? 
That's what it sounds like. That or that's what I thought it meant. Yeah, it says an EFM has no heavy chain. is usually made from a buoyant synthetic material, which hovers above the seafloor without a drag. Huh. I thought it was interesting. They talked about that it's similar to uh, its sister seaweed restoration operation, crayweed. So they must have this not only affecting that one particular variety, but others as well. So what I what I'm kind of as I read this, uh, and it's probably a little bit different than what we have around here. But uh, what I'm picturing is that offshore, like say you have a nice sailboat, you might be mooring your sailboat offshore, and then you've got a little dinghy that you go out to your boat. So you probably got a concrete mooring with a chain and a swivel, and so this chain is just dragging all the way around. So however much slack you've got in that chain which could be most of the chain other than the depth straight down, you probably could end up destroying anything that was on the bottom just by the natural swing of that. At the bottom of the article, there's a click on for Operation Poseida, look after your bottom campaign. I just mm-hmm. clicked on that. It starts out quite interesting. Um, and then uh, it does show the estuaries, the bays. Um, quite interesting when you look at the video with it. And okay, FM yeah. stands for environmentally friendly mooring. And yeah. basically that's all it is, is just a typical mooring, but they use floats basically to keep your chain off of the bottom. And they just use a heavier anchor block. Yeah, because that's what you like. Here we like the chain because it takes up the slack. Uh, yeah, it's like if you've got a surge or something, that chain, you know, will help. You don't. You actually, don't it's a buffer, a shock absorber. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah the I, video actually is very, very good. Not to mention the the vegetation shots and the shots of the seahorses. Awesome video. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking at it now. Ooh, oh, they, octopus they some, too. I got some nice seahorses in there. And octopus. Yeah, and that and that's exactly what it is. They they show this, what we would call a bay, but they must be saying an estuary. Yeah. And they've got a bunch of uh, sailboats moored in it. And I just posted a link in the uh, chat that's uh, out of the UK, and it's a large tutorial on types of environmentally friendly moorings and ways to build your own or purchase manufactured solutions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But uh, the thing to bear in mind is is that's environmentally friendly for their habitat. I mean, yes. there's other spots like 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 for us around here. Hard to uh, hurt sand. Yeah, you're not. There's there's nothing. The the sand's just a, it's, uh, a washboard bottom, pretty much. Yeah, that's why we don't have seahorses either. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we need some of those freshwater seahorses. And then we have an underwater robot glider measuring ocean sound level. Researchers at Oregon State University and NOAA developed an effective method to use an underwater robotic glider to measure sound levels over broad areas of the sea. Healthy marine ecosystems need to have noise levels within a particular range, said Joe Haxel, an assistant professor, senior researcher at the College of Earth, Ocean, and Atmosphere Science at Oregon State, part of NOAA's Pacific Marine Environmental Lab Acoustics Program. Ocean sound 
was recently listed as an essential ocean variable by the Global Ocean Observing System, a UNESCO program due to the importance of marine life and seagoing humans because it is used to monitor and locate everything from earthquakes to tsunamis to nuclear explosions. Traditionally, scientists have measured ocean sound by attaching hydrophones, which are underwater microphones fixed to a mooring in the water. The problem is that scientists only get data from a single location. Ocean sound can be measured from a research ship, but they're also expensive to operate, and they also create a lot of noise themselves, which disturbs marine animals and fish that are sensitive to sound. Attaching a hydrophone to a glider solves this problem because gliders operate autonomously, are relatively quiet, and can cover hundreds of miles over several weeks. Gliders equipped with hydrophones can conduct repeated surveys of the regions concerned for acoustic habitat degradation, provide real-time measurements of changing noise levels. Gliders have also successfully been used by scientists to measure noise from an underwater volcano and to predict surface wind speeds. An additional benefit of the gliders is that they are outfitted with other sensors and instruments that provide important measurements, such as temperature, salinity, and depth. The glider operates along the North American continental shelf break, which on average is about 30 miles off coast and is where the ocean depth begins to drop more steeply. The shelf break is a key migratory path for marine animals like whales. Once does, the it tell, does it say mention the depth they were really looking at? Is it deep or shallow uh, noise they're looking at? They're not saying. They're like the looks like the they collected eighteen day glider tip with historic data from hydrophones attached to moorings along the route. So it's pretty shocking how close the data sets align. That led the team to conclude the gliders are effective. Oh, so that's them validating that their measurements were consistent with the hydrophones. Um, they're not. They're not giving us any specifics. Um, so they're they're doing this to try and get some environmental levels. I went to a different click on on this. It talked about while researchers have been aware for quite some time, the sounds produced by marine life was until the acoustic telemetry of Ocean Climate Project, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1992, in which high-intensity, low-frequency, meaning below a 1,000 cycles, were transmitted over long distances. And like you said, the attention was focused on impacts of human-generated noise on marine animals. And then they said back in 72, it certainly, uh, suddenly it seemed nearly all sources of anthro- yeah, anthropogenic sound came under intense scrutiny of potential threats to existence, well-being of uh, undersea life. Part of this was from uh, commercial shipping, offshore construction, recreational boating, and sonar from other vessels. Obviously, we're talking Navy, because mm-hmm. that's who's got the high power looking for other submarines and stuff. Right. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of studies on that, and quite a bit of them are military. Yeah. Yeah. For the military, if they can find a way to, uh, like, just sense things quicker, that's certainly an advantage of them. Well, I know the old sound buoys they used to drop that are passive, but they can relay then the information if a sub were to go by them, and, mm-hmm. you know, quick. You wonder if they, they can also have other data that might be able to be used for scientific pur- uh, purposes. Yeah. 
That I don't know. Or for filtering systems on sonar systems. Yeah. Get rid of the ambient noise. They also yeah. used the, uh, there's a sonar buoy line when, uh, uh, what what country was it that lost that submarine about two years ago? Well, Argentina lost one. Argentina, that was it. And they actually located it based upon the sound of the explosion being detected by two different sonar buoys. And they did a time comparison and they were able to kind of triangulate and get a search area just from the sounds they picked up on the sonar buoys. So by knowing what is normally occurring, they can filter out the ambient noise to better detect abnormal sounds. Whenever I, I hear that, I think of uh, the Hunt for Red October movie, which we know movies are completely accurate. <laughs> and sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, considering that that movie was uh, encouraged by the military, you know that whatever they showed in the movie uh, was probably less than what they're capable of actually doing. I would hope so. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. And this looks like a potential uh, career change for me. It'll, uh, builds, uh, an alumni builds a business on ancient shark teeth. Bill Eberlin uh, planned to pursue a career in accounting after taking economic class. He discovered he loved the subject, so he majored in that too. 30 years later, not long at a successful career in information technology, he now makes a living diving and selling ancient shark teeth through his business, Megateeth Fossils. The first twist for Emberlin came when he was 21 and working part-time at Sears when a co-worker talked him into taking a free scuba diving lesson. That, that's like giving somebody crack. Uh, <laughs> he loved it before long. He was spending all his free time with the local dive club members, exploring the water around Erie. He even joined the Erie County Sheriff Officer Scuba Team. I really love looking for shipwrecks in Lake Erie, he said. And there was a plenty of opportunity to dive in here. If you had gear, you could join a free dive every weekend. Ten years later, Eberlin moved to Savannah, Georgia, to take a job in information technology at Gulfstream Aerospace. When a Gulfstream co-worker learned that Eberlin was an avid diver, the co-worker told him about diving with shark teeth and the rivers around Savannah. I Wait a minute, we know about that. Yeah. Uh, my first thought was, that's silly, looking for tiny little shark teeth. I was used to really cool stuff like shipwrecks, you know. But then he learned the shark teeth from his coworker were not the run-of-the-mill one-inch shark teeth you find at tourist gift shops. They were hefty palm-sized fossils from ancient megalodons, an extinct species that sank and lived two to five million years ago. The megalodon just wasn't a shark, but a dinosaur shark that was thought to be one of the largest, most powerful predators in the sea. Scientists estimate the average megalodon was 34 feet, with thick, robust teeth built for grabbing prey and breaking bones. Emberlin was intrigued. He wanted to find it too, so he signed up for a charter near Hilton Head in South Carolina. The crew warned him it'd be too difficult to see megalodon teeth and that he shouldn't be too disappointed if they didn't find any. He came back with a bag full of them, astonishing the charter captain. I used to think diving in dark, murky water was sort of feeling my way around, Emberlin said. I just took my hand, dug in the silt a little bit. It wasn't long before I felt a tooth. Inspired by his early successes, he dove into his new hobby, searching for fossils on weekends and vacation days. Soon he had collected so many that he needed to do something with them. But doesn't this sound uh, uh, reminiscent of bottle hunters? Or a gentleman that we know that 
go with us who now sells bottles and shark teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I knew there was a market. Yeah. I knew there was a market for the teeth. I figured they could use the money to pay for my new boat. Because the kind of degree came in handy, the profits from Megalodon. Uh, Megalodon. I'm I'm seeing one word saying another. Megalodon fossils or megal, mega teeth fossils pay for the boat and then some. The average whole tooth in good condition sells for about hundred bucks. Those smaller and perfect teeth can sell for as little as twenty. The most valuable tooth Emberlin has found is worth about five thousand dollars. He keeps that one for himself in a safe deposit box. In two thousand three, Emberlin left Gulfstream to teach classes in information technology and accounting at Savannah Technical College. Five years later, he decided to dive and sell fossils full-time. My boat captain and I usually head out early in the morning and come back around lunchtime. I average about two teeth a dive, but one time I found more than 40 in one hole. Rare are the days he comes up empty-handed, but he does. He takes comfort in the fact that he gets to do something he loves almost every day. I just remind myself, for me, the worst day underwater is better than my best day sitting at a desk. <laughs> I wish I knew what depth he was talking. Forty to hundred is what he says on his web page. Ah, I mean, because the time down and the depth will determine how much he's going to dive in a day. Yeah, because I th- I think the shark trips that uh, Sass was doing was was around the hundred hundred foot deep. Yeah, they were doing the deeper ones with the scooters you go down use the scooter you go to your site you come back to your line and go back up yeah, yeah i still like the ones we did in charleston oh, those those are those are a blast i wonder you know I, i'd like to see is there like a book on what these recommended prices are um he actually has a book on his website about megalodon collecting megalodon tooth collecting and buying teeth and things like that, and I'm, I'm I'm imagining he probably talks price, but I will tell you that looking at his website, there's a lot in the right around two hundred dollar range. Uh, there's one for seven hundred. There's one for eleven fifty. There's one for twelve fifty with a chip in it, but it's a six and a half inch tooth. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I'm looking at one in this article, and uh, I'd say that's about a five and a half. I put a link to his uh, website in the chat room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd I still rather go find them than buy them. Oh, yeah. Oh, certainly. But I'm just thinking, you know, if you could, you know, find five and sell one, <laughs> could you at least pay? I, I'm just talking about paying for your trip when you're down there. Who was it that said something once? Their wife was bitching at him about all their bottles, and they said, do you know what these are worth? Nothing. You're never going to sell them. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm saying. I'd have to sell one. Hard to either, do. He's, either he's got little hands or those in the, the cover article are pretty big teeth. He's got some good-sized teeth on his uh, website. A lot, of five, a lot of five to six-inch teeth. I found a lot of heartbreakers that were almost that size, but never the whole tooth. I think he's diving on the ledges out in the ocean. Yeah, I wound up more vertebrae of other animals than I did shark teeth. Yeah, if he, yeah, he's going out, so he's not in the rivers. And from what I've seen from people bringing teeth back, you know, in the river they tumble a lot. Out in the ocean on the ledges, they bury in sand. Yeah, condition seems to be better. 
Now, are they digging down when you go out there, or you got to go and do Typically, a little Typically, they're digging down. When Sass is out there, they use scooters to blow, mm-hmm. which tells me, like you said, they're digging. Yeah. I'm guessing when the charters find a new ledge, they just pick them off the surface. But that's before they take any customers there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to give everybody the easy pickings. Well, then, talking about a little bit of erosion here. Uh, let's see, what is this? This is in the UK. Coastal erosion uncovers skeletons of six victims of Tudor shipwrecks. Scientists studying the site in the southeast coast of Wales were in for surprise and they uncovered six skeletons on this, uh, the site of the Vale of Galagorin Heritage Coast has been a victim to coastal erosion, which the process has revealed the mysterious skeleton. While the remains unclear how the skeletons are, and researchers suggest they may have been victims of a shipwreck 100 years ago. Or was it hundreds of years ago? So that's, um, it could be one or more hundreds of years ago. Uh, Professor Jacques Mulville, who led the Cardiff University team, said, I mean, the skeletons have lost bones in the sea, but the early analysis of the buried positions of individuals has been revealing. There's a single younger individual buried away from the rest, while the others buried side by side or even together in a single grave. Our latest thinking is that these are Tudor or Stuart men who may have been victims of a shipwreck. We aim to tell more of their stories and return their identities to them through ongoing post-evacuation analysis. Excavations are being carried out over three days in July and five days in September. While the team is still carrying out details analysis in the human remains, uh, we'll get a sneak peek. Uh, on an eight series of the BBC fours digging in Britain on the 20th of November. So that's, that's already been out. So interesting. And your next article actually goes a little more into detail on the same. Yeah. The same site. And uh, they're saying 16th century for other bones that were found previously in the area. They must've been buried. I'm looking at the pictorial. Those are clean bones. Well, they say they appeared due to erosion, so I'm sure they probably were buried. Oh, yeah, this is not underwater, though. That's right. I just see the picture of Cliff. Yeah, yeah. So, because at first it was kind of puzzling. I was thinking, oh, these were on the beach. But the beach, th- this is a grave up on a hill. So Yes. So what it was is they there was a shipwreck. They died. And then they got buried in graves up on the hill, not far from the ocean. And now as erosion's gotten there, because they showed the lady, one of the archaeologists, and she's on a ladder up at the edge. Yeah, interesting. It shows how much the beach line or shoreline has eroded over a couple hundred years. Certainly. Be interesting. So what were they saying? Uh, you, you said it was the 1600s? 16th century. So 16th century. So, yeah. yeah. I like the one picture where they're on the ropes, and then you can see the ocean in the background. Mm-hmm. And off to the left, you can see the different strata layers of how that's eroded. So, yeah, they've done a lot of damage in 400 years. Yep. 
Very cool. Well, hopefully we get to see a version of that. They'll probably they'll probably remix those clips and edits and do it on one of the uh, networks that we get over here. Then how about this for some potentially cool scuba gear? The SG Research Sphere Artisan and Ocean Diveroid integrates with smartphones to capture, shoot underwater beauty on a dive. Uh, Artisan and Oceans recently launched their first Diveroid model that creates enjoyable experience for divers beneath the ocean. Um, the company came into existence in 2013 when a team of experienced divers and a vision to revoke disrupted mindsets from the community and mission to make scuba diving easy, safe, and entertainment coupled with affordable dive gear device Diveroid. It's a Diveroid? It, th- I think that's a really kind of a poor name. Because there's very few things with roid in them that I think are positive. <laughs> Promotional activities to spread the awareness of the dive gear device at affordable prices. This reads so much like a press release. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. This get to, I mean, they've, they've put so much flowery language in, in there. It specifies a double O-ring system with 60 meters or 200-foot waterproof range, which includes screen coatings, the Gorilla Glass. It provides strength and lifelong durability. The backup of the device built in battery sustains for a 10-year of two years. Anti-fog system propel out of the heat due to built-in five heat sinks to prevent fogging. When coupled with a smartphone, it transforms into a dive computer, compass, logbook, and highly functioned underwater camera. So is this a case where you slide your phone in? Is that what this is? It's an app that goes on your smartphone to turn your smartphone into a dive computer compass, logbook, and an underwater camera. Okay. Yeah, and I... it, it, it looks like it also it lets you take all the pictures that you do on that dive and associate them with your logbook. Okay. So it's a mixture of software and then some hardware. So you still have to be brave enough to take your cell phone and put it in this case. Or an old cell phone. I guess that's true. Because now with cell phones frequently can approach $1,000 or more. Uh, Or your buddy's cell phone. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Let's let's try Darren's file first. Yeah, yeah, you try my cell phone. Yeah, yeah, just like when you see the shark and then yeah, yeah, shoot me in the the leg. So. <laughs> I wouldn't shoot you in the leg. Maybe tie your ankles together and then twirl my hair. We'll see. See your mermaid kick. I bet you could learn yeah. real quick. Yeah, you'd you'd figure that out. <laughs> I, I I would I'd be doing my ink blob uh, as I try and outswim the shark. <laughs> But at least I'd have my diveroid and that could capture it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to do the ink blot. If, if you're in a dry suit, you can't do that, though, right? <laughs> I, I, it, it, probably, it probably has a little bit of physics and velocity involved. <laughs> and this is uh, out of Korea. Oh, okay. And it only works with Android systems. Oh, is that where the roid came in? I believe yeah, so. That's an unfortunate uh, 
probably cultural. They don't they don't realize the connotation in the US. They're taking the wrong part of the ant. It should be diver ant instead of diveroid. <laughs> you know that article that you'd looked at on the bones? Did you happen yeah. to scroll all the way down to the bottom? There's a bunch of other stuff, yes. Well, seal, about wouldn't leave, seal wouldn't leave diver alone. Uh oh. You don't want to go further than that because there may be other pictures that if you're not under I mean not over a certain age you might not want to see, but well, now you've done it. I'm gonna to have to look now. I know. Now I've piqued your curiosity. Yeah, I, 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 you, you can't unthink that. Uh, so, did they give a price on this this roid thing? I don't see anything. Uh, they yeah. call themselves ScubaShooters.net, and when I try to open their website, Artisan-Ocean.com, I'm getting nothing. Ah. Uh. And it there's a picture of uh it appears to be four young Korean kids that I'm guessing are the ones that build it. But there's no it says need more information, click here, but there's nothing about purchasing or anything else I can see. They are located in Seoul, Korea. Let's see, the uh, Kickstarter temp. I see there's a bunch of pushing Diveroid $89 computer that has everything, Indiegogo. That's, That's in the almost sounds too good to be true camp, doesn't it? Wow. Because I'd be willing to sacrifice Max phone for $89. Well, the good thing is for $89, it doesn't even come with a housing, so it automatically waterproofs your phone. Yeah. It's a software solution for a hardware problem. Okay. Here it is. Price point, $213. Only for Kickstarter. Let's see. When is this? Oh, that's on the Diveroid website. Yeah. I'll stick to my Shearwater and GoPro. You can't beat those GoPros. Even though I've seen some clones that are really good for 30 feet or less that are really nice also, though. I mean, I consider those disposable underwater cameras. But for river work, yeah, price is not bad. I'll tell you, Mac, that uh, up in the Straits, I had a knockoff GoPro. And... I took it to the Eber Ward, went down to the sand. So it it went a little deeper than 130 feet. Well, the ones I'm looking at are less than 50 bucks, and it's like, I can try that with 50 bucks. Yeah, I think I paid 35 for mine. And I think it said 90 feet, so I went ahead and took it to 160. Well, the, the only item on those is I've generally found is the batteries do not last as long as the GoPros. So if you take fresh ones, turn it on when you're going to be on your on your site, you're good. It'll, it's, it's worth it. It really is. Yeah, I went ahead and bought the four-pack of spare batteries. That was an additional $9. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it takes better pictures than I do. 
<laughs> well, some of the newer ones, though, you've got 4K on it, you know, resolution as opposed to, you know, what we're used to. It's also strange how the, the camera on your cell phone quite often takes a lot better pictures than your better camera on the surface. Yes. Yeah. I hear Darren refreshing his glass. Oh, I had to top it off. Uh, but uh, doing a little bit of research, we have Indiegogo. I uh, had a campaign last year that ended on uh, June 15th, 2018. And uh, they ranged from uh, $89 to $109, depending on when you got in the campaign. Uh, it didn't look like it was super successful. Indiegogo, I don't think you have to do everything. They only had, uh, they got $10,000, which, I mean, it sounds like a lot uh, from 119 backers, but you know, if you were looking at paying for something in molds, that, didn't, that wouldn't cover it. It looks like the housing they have has a shoe on top to add additional lights, and it looks like it has a stud on the bottom for mounting it to some kind of a, a bracket. Uh-huh. That'd probably be something fun to play with. Yeah. So they've, they've been trying for a while, so I think this the reason we're seeing new press releases is they're, is they're probably trying to create some interest to justify whatever their next stage is. So it'd be interesting. If you've, if you've got one of these or you know more about it, drop us a line at the show at scubaobsessed.com. We'd love to hear about it. So now that, this is your this is your fault, by the way. You're, you know you're fault. on this uh, the sun, right? That's what you got that one article out of. Oh, yeah, the sun. I, I just went down again because I'm listening, oh, but I'm also but... dorking. I like this incoming deadly god of chaos, space rock, capable of killing millions. Could hit Earth on tif- ten different dates. Did you see that yeah. one? You know, because that's why I had two articles there. The sun was the one. The sun was the one I came across first, but I'm like, is this a two-headed alien baby like you would see in a tabloid? <laughs> or so I had to find another source to verify. Uh, unfortunately, the sun, as spammy and as creepy as some of their stuff is on there, they actually had more details than the more mainstream uh, paper. So. Uh, and it's good to know that Kyle and Kendall Jenner uh, finally support Catlin on I'm a Celebrity. Because, you know, I, I don't know what I would do if I hadn't heard about that. Well, I just thought this this uh, asteroid here could hit with uh, 1,200,000 kilotons of kinetic energy. For comparison, the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima exploded with a force of 15. The impact of this one would decimate an area of a thousand square miles and leave a three and a half, no, 3.2 mile crater. It's being tracked by NASA's automated sentry warning system, which predicts the next object's flyby will occur. We don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. Let me put it that way. April 2060. But uh, they're saying there's several, several opportunities for that to be the end of civilization on Earth. And if that's only 2060, hey, you don't have to worry about pollution. Yeah. Party it up. Absolutely. Here, actually, what you do is uh, 
Give me all your worldly possessions, and I will take them off your hands, so you don't have to worry. But it's your fault I deviated because that's where it came from. Yeah. I can't believe I actually opened it and scrolled down to look. <laughs> Did you find it? Well, yeah, but I'm hung up on this whole deal with Miss Miami having to have her butt amputated after illegal jabs went wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I was going to mention that one. <laughs> I, I, I think it. See, I, I don't get that. So uh, I think it depends on what other sites you're visiting as to what the sun <laughs> show you. It was exactly where you directed me. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, I I'm noticed. I noticed it. When I opened it back up, there were new articles down below. Okay. Yeah. Cause so I, every time you open it, you probably get new stuff. I'll hit refresh and see if it changes. <laughs> uh, a, a Kickstarter for that Diveroid, they, on that one, they did a little bit better. 200, uh, excuse me, 522 backers for $160,000. Uh, and that closed on. Uh, the project will be funded if it reaches its goal by Wednesday, December 18th, 2019 at 4 p.m. So it looked like the Indiegogo wasn't enough for them. So they went to Kickstarter, and they're currently 1,000% funded. So they had a $10,000 goal, now they're 160. So the question is, was the Indiegogo campaign a scam, and this is just a new scam, or is this a legitimate product? Well, what's the other – I mean, what's the big deal? So you can use your – Camera underwater in that case? Well, you, you think about it. If if I'm a non-diver and I'm looking at gear and I'm like, oh, my gosh, fins are this, mask is that, and I can rent the rest. And then you start looking at underwater cameras uh, and or a dive computer, you know, five, six hundred dollars, three hundred to five hundred dollars, depending on the models. And here you've got something for 200 bucks and you just slap your phone in uh, that that's going to be uh, more attractive. Yeah. They're having this pledge 249 and you get the, the diveroid 269. So it looks like they're, I'm, I'm guessing by the time this gets to market, you can buy a really nice GoPro, but you're not going to have a dive computer. Well, what they could do though, is have another little port that's waterproof that has the antenna spool that goes to the surface with a buoy so you can use your GPS down there. Now that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that could happen. Let's see. They've uh, So this is definitely funded. Do they say when it is going to deliver? Uh, something, I saw something that said hell freezes over. I don't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah, that's something. Well, it just means that it's going to be a really cold day. When that happens, uh, estimated well, delivery, not even a week old, February, 2020. Well, yeah, it, it's still going. You can still get on this. If you want in on it, at least as of the recording, you can, you could get on. I'm yeah. I'm yeah. So February, 2020. All right. The sun is worse than YouTube. Yes. Every time you refresh it, you get new links. <laughs> <laughs> And some of them are just so outlandish. You just, it, it's like a, it's like a train crash or you, you, you just, you know, you shouldn't look, but you want to. Well, it's like you, you check out lane at the supermarket and look at the tabloid on your left and right. And, you know, the queen has disarmed this and there's new evidence on someone who got killed a hundred years ago. And it's like, yeah, 
Yeah. Yellow sheet papers. How, how about those articles where it says, you can't believe what the, his neighbors thought when they found him buried, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, and so you go and do it, and it's it's like a kid's word game where it's got a page, and it has, like, the paragraph, which is the title, and then you click on the next page, and it's like rehash that paragraph plus two more words. So it takes you, like, five or six pages. In the meantime, they've served you 200 ads. Yeah. So. I don't know, but I, do I really want to look at this story about a teen decapitating her grandmother's dog and putting the pooch's head in her bedroom drawer? Probably not. All right, we'll just close that. I'm still on the Indigo item. I found another Diveroid $89 computer that has everything. Yeah. Turn yeah, your think... smartphone into a dive computer, logbook, camera, and more. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think their prices slowly got more realistic over the years. I think they thought they could do it for that. Now they've slowly gotten it to a more probably practical price. Well, I wonder if the 89 is only the software and no, no case. Oh, that's possible. Oh, here you go. Sex Robot reviews and unboxing videos, the latest bizarre YouTube trend. I'll stick to AVE. Although he might do that. <laughs> okay, well, I think we've done. <laughs> we've, we've, we've pummeled uh, scuba news to death. So, Well, we've got enough other substance that people can now vary their interest. Yeah. Yeah, just make sure you send us all the commission checks for the ad. <laughs> okay. Uh, so diving, has anybody been getting diving? The The wind the last couple of weeks has been on and off pretty rough. We had some pretty hefty winds yesterday. Well, I've been doing some uh, reviews and picture taking for uh, shoreline erosion. And I don't know if you saw some of the ones I did post. Oh, yeah. But you know the the, the steep road that you go down from downtown Benton or St. Joe down to go yeah. to Silver Beach? Yeah. And you make that 90-degree turn to go parallel to the beach? You, you mean the one that's at least 70 yards off the beach there? Yeah. Almost, what, 70 yards off the beach? Oh, you <laughs> mean the, the entry that has the big plaque and the concrete base and stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's that's you know, the the beach is way out there, the shoreline. Right. You got plenty, you got plenty of land there. Yeah, well, now that if you stand on that concrete and look down the bottom of it, uh, the water is there. <laughs> I saw that. I photo. went by it again tonight, and whenever you know where the the um, poles they had set up for the volleyball nets that were way away from the shoreline. Yeah, they're underwater. Whoa, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, and then that's... if you turn it and look towards Lions Park, uh, this is where the big controversy on can I put stones out to help protect my house. Uh, there's a three foot sheer drop, meaning it has been the cliffs there or their the property line has been sheared three feet out, and there's water at the bottom of that three foot. Wow. Yeah, I I was not crying sympathy for them, but when I see that, I think you should be able to put rocks out. Oh hell yes! And what they wanted them to do is sign the the item from this from the um, county, saying that and you'll take them out within a year. Excuse me, but why would I want to take them out in a year? Why would you want to take them out ever? Right, you'd want to add more onto it. 
And yeah, I would want to add more to it. Put pictures where it's already undercut a couple of roads. And why would the county have a problem with them putting rocks there to control erosion? If it's public prop, if it's your property, you do what you want because you're paying for it. But if it's public property, then it's got to you. They have all sorts of requirements that you got to do, so you don't do damage to the environment. And if you did temporarily to save something, you got to be able to undo it. Well, I think what happens is that you do kind of a community awareness where you say, hey, everybody, if you could bring a rock, and then who, who's going to, you know, who are they going to take photos of everybody who dropped the rock over and locked inside the road? To... Yeah, but the rocks are using here are about big as my car. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, uh, so it's yeah. kind of like a flash mob stoning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, if you've been over the bridge and you've looked down at the inn, you will notice a lot of bargers out there full of stone and and devices to pick those up and put them on shore. And then when the weather is not kicking up 20-foot waves, by the way, Superior had 26-foot waves yesterday. Wow. Uh, ours averaged 10, 10-foot waves, and there were no uh, surfers out and there was no kiters out there either. It was that rough. Wow. So what did the, all, like the, uh, there by Lions Park, what's that, a, a, a waste, is that a waste treatment plant or a? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a waterworks. That's not the waste treatment. Waterworks. That's the intake right. section for St. Joe Water. But they couldn't have engineered it for this type of water level. They have uh, some barriers put out in the front and eventually okay. that's catching up to them too. Yeah. So they, I mean, there's going to be quite a few people. Yeah, uh, well, you're going to wind up putting in those. The pilings go down about 50 feet is what you want. You're going to build it up, fill it in, and you're basically going to make a dike. Yeah. That's what you're going to have to do there. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, this is just the uh, it's a natural erosion and then the high water level. So between the two of them, you've just got a recipe for eroding shorelines. Well, I went back out to Glenlord and took pictures out there. and. Where the the dock and not dock, but the uh, walkway used to be and went down, and they got rid of all that, of course, because there's water. They've got the new border set. So I went there the day and I looked over the edge of where the fence is. Uh, they needed to move it back another three feet because it's already started to erode up to where they poured new concrete. Yeah, yeah, th- it's this just is- eating those cliffs away. Yeah. Well, and and the danger is because I see that uh, St. Joe and the and and Berrien County are both trying to get some state money to help them, but uh, the cost is just not going to be feasible. You're not going to be able to protect it. But well, we they're need- actually trying to get um, an emergency action for the state, declaring the entire water boundary uh, mm-hmm. as an emergency, meaning it needs to be fixed. But the thing is, mostly whenever you want to do anything in the water, there's so much per- permit permitting that has to be done yeah. and studies. And then as soon as you protect somebody's shoreline, then the people half mile down blame you for theirs eroding. Right. If you, I've been flying and keeping track of this for about 10 years. And people have actually emailed me and said, can I use your pictures <laughs> as part of their documentation of like from 2010 to now? Can you yeah. show me what's going on in my cliffs? And uh, yeah. 
they've been using that as proof to show you that this ain't stopping people. It's not going to. And it, and, and it, it just, it slows down when we have low water level. Yeah. And everybody yeah. kind of forgets about it. And then they, and now we've got it again. I kind of go back and forth because it's like, if you're buying anything within a quarter mile of the, of the Lake Michigan, there's going to be a day or time where unless there's some serious concrete poured, but that's all going to be gone. So I can remember when I first moved in the area, uh, it was, uh, you know, in 84 and they had a lot of erosion going on then. And people were throwing down like scrap concrete over, you know, off their, their lakefront houses to try and keep from losing everything. And about the well, time you thought all those houses were going to go, then it retreated. Yep. Well, you still have that, the bluff. Remember when you're out there going up down towards uh, Cook Plant or? Yeah. On the starting yeah. the set, all the reflection of the cars and parts of the cars that were thrown over the embankment to protect that from years ago. Yeah. yeah. So this is not a new thing. It's just it's whenever we have these high levels and you get some wave action. And I, I predict we're going to have a pretty rough winter on the lake. Uh, we're cold a little earlier, so I'm wondering if we're going to have a lake freeze over soon. Is it going to freeze over earlier than normal, you think? I haven't seen any predictions for that. Yeah. What I'd like is to get a nice good freeze on the lake without the ice mountains building up along the shore. So maybe we can go out and do an ice dive on Max Rick. <laughs> <laughs> that would be different. I'm convinced still it's totally uncovered in the wintertime. It's, it's uncovered. <laughs> it's, it's like there, there's gold bars sitting on the deck. Well, no, no, not gold bars. They're, the gold we find wouldn't be there. So, Well, it's Civil War gold. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, but I would certainly love to be able to get out on the, on the big lake and do an ice dive on a wreck. And it's there are ways of doing that. Just got to be able to get past the ice mountains. Well, the ones I know that you can do is you can go up to Sheboygan over at Duncan Bay and then um, do an ice dive on the tug. Yeah. and then They've been doing that for a couple of years. I don't think they did it last year and the year before uh, since the dive shop closed. Yeah. But doesn't Traverse City have some uh, ice dives that they do there in their bay as well? That one I'm not sure. Okay. A couple of years ago, we did one on Lake Erie where we actually used quad runners to get out to it. And uh, that, that actually made some news articles. And it was amazing because in the western basin of Lake Erie, you have no visibility during the summer. And we had impeccable visibility. But it was uh, it was a couple-mile ride on the quads. Hmm. I have dove only once, twice in Lake Erie when I was over in Monroe. And all I remember is when you go out down, you know, you've been to, by the Raisin River. Oh, yeah. You know that docking system on the right-hand side out by the power plant? Yep. You know, that was the original settlement. Um, those pilings, some of those are old, old, old. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they used to bring in the the immigrants, that's where they docked. But you go straight out. You've got 20 foot of sediment out there. That when you're looking for wrecks, if you did a sub-bottom profiler, you will be surprised what you find out there. Yes, there's actually a couple of parts of the uh, River Raisin that have not been dredged. And a couple of the parts of it were where some of the battle 
the battles of River Raisin occurred? Well, I looked at it when I was living there. That's why I went to dive the the river there. And then I did, the like you said, the history check of when the CCs went through, uh, conservation corps, mm -hmm. and made the spillways and cleaned that up. Pretty much everything I needed and what showed me where I was going to find artifacts has been done, with the exception of that section from the last uh, spillway out to Lake Erie. That's the place I would be looking now if I had a boat. The only problem is it's been dredged to high hell. But that doesn't mean there isn't stuff there. Yeah, well, the shoreline's where I want to go. They only dredge the middle. They don't dredge Correct. Right. About 15, 10, 15 feet off from the shoreline. Have you I've ever never been to in the Bay Area. Have you ever gone to that museum there in uh, Monroe? Or the one there at the Raisin? I have not. They've never been open when I had time to get in there. We're talking 1984, 85 when I worked up there. I went in there just to look around because that's the uh, Custer Museum also. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I said I was a diver and I was just looking for stuff. And the guy said, "Well, come on downstairs a minute and tell me, see, tell me if you know what this stuff is." Duh. I'm going down there, and the first thing he's showing me is a. A figurine carved out on the nose of a boat. <laughs> he had no clue what that was. It's like, excuse me? You don't know what that is? No. And then what about these? And, of course, he's bringing over dead eyes, um, marlin spikes. And they're all downstairs. This guy did not know what he had in the basement of that museum. <laughs> My comment, I suppose, now is, is it still there? And has anybody ever done anything with it? Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> well, it, it probably depends on what your archaeological expertise is and what you yeah. think people want to see. And, you know, dead eye out of context is probably, you know, you can show one or two as an exhibit saying this is an example of ship construction. <laughs> but if you can't really say which ship it was to, it's probably just... You know, not much what they would consider to be exhibit worthy. Yeah. I mean, if I guess if you had, you know, 20 different styles and you wanted to do an exhibit on rigging, but yeah, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of stuff is. Just yeah. you collect and you collect and you collect, and then it's like, man, okay, what do we do with that? Isn't that mainly a custom museum? It's a museum, yes. And that's that's probably why. Yeah. When you say Custer, is that the... General Custer. General Custer, okay. Yes. So what did he Good have to George. do nautical or nothing? That, nothing. That's why it's probably down in the basement. The basement. <laughs> it was there when, the build, when they bought the building. If I remember right, he was born in, and lived in Monroe growing up. I still can't believe somebody wouldn't take Gatling guns. <laughs> <laughs> what a been a game changer. Most certainly. Well, how about any other diving? Anybody gotten anything in the last couple of weeks? I haven't seen much on Facebook of people getting some dives in. I think the major items have been the uh, shows that have been around. Sandusky had a real nice one. You've had some uh, 
Well, you had Sandusky. We had the one down here on aircraft by Taurus, Lysenko, where we got information yeah, yeah. both on the Chakor a little bit and on the mm-hmm. plans, hopefully, for the UC-97 submarine. Oh, well, no, uh, when and they did. When, was that the one at the airport, or has there been another one? Well, he's done five since then. Yeah. Uh, Lake so, Michigan College and Dwaja, uh, several of Excuse me. So, so somebody was able to squeeze some Chikora stuff out of them? Yes. Ah. They have dove it since the other people have thought they have dove it. Ah, so they've uh, done it. And I, when I say dove, I'm talking ROV. Right. But even so, so if he hasn't changed his story, it just he's in, it's given him more confidence in what he thinks it is. That it is, it, yeah. Uh, about the only diving really has been over at Diamond Lake, uh, and the controversy about the boiler boiler versus maybe they want to move the South Bend. People want to take that junk out of their pristine. Yeah. And I don't lake. know if we've if we've really talked about that much on the show since this has happened. What was going on? is Diamond Lake, which is an inland lake, which a lot of uh, Chicago tourists at the turn of the century had come over. And it's used to see, uh, it had even been in ads for cars, uh, where they would have cars on this chain barge that used to navigate across. And in the old days, they would have, uh, a lot of these lakes would have the steam-boilered launches which about how many people would have a vessel like that hold maybe eight or 10? Uh, some of them were more than like 60 and 80 people. Same thing at Paw Paw Lake. Yeah. So you, so you had a lot of these uh, steam launches and some of them would get, would get out of repair and they'd sink them. Sometimes they would sink on their own tragically or for other reasons, but there was some out there 